Good morning. Um, I wonder if any of you have had this experience where sometimes you have to move away from home uh, to discover something that you've been missing out on. Uh, for some of you this week, that has been snow. And it's been obvious, those who have come to this place not having experienced snow before, uh, because when the beautiful blanket of snow fell on Wilmore Monday morning and the shouts of joy went up from uh, folks whose schools were closed and the shouts of um, disdain from those whose children were home because their schools were closed, um, everyone who walked outside and looked outside reacted in different ways. And, and we watched some of you whose eyes got as big as snow shovels as you saw this, um, this sight that you had not seen before. Uh, we can tell if you're far, from farther south than here, uh, or perhaps from a continent far, far away, by how you react to the snow. And some of you walked around you know, with one finger touching it to see if it would jump back at you or something or you leapt around in it like a little woodland animal, or you, you spun in circles trying to catch a flake on your tongue, and that's when we know you're not from around here. And, and this is spoken from a transplanted Texan for whom this, this phenomenon is still more like white magical fairy dust from heaven than a weather event. Uh, and then some of you from places like Michigan and New York, you're over it and you wonder why we're not over it. So living in a new place can cause you to open your eyes to something that you've never seen before. What about you? When, you? when you left home, maybe for the first time, when you went to a new place, what did you discover that had been undiscovered? Was it, was it an author or a band you had never heard before or or was it a new kind of food? Is this the reason for the long lines on spicy chicken Thursdays? Um, for me, it was a movie. When I moved away uh, from home to go to college, when I went away from home for the first time, it seemed like everyone in my freshman class was talking about the same movie. They were all quoting lines from it, just annoyingly laughing among themselves. And when I said out loud that I had never actually seen it before, had really never heard of it before, their mouths dropped open and they stared at me as if I had been living in some underground bunker. How could I never have heard of this movie before? Um, we're gonna show a little clip of the movie I missed out on in one of its irresistibly cheesy opening scenes. Hold it, is this a kissing book? I think that's my favorite line. Um, I love The Princess Bride. I came late to The Princess Bride party, but when I found it, I loved it. Maybe not as much as Ryan Bigham, but I do love this movie. Um, the adventure, the romance, the humor, the cheesy scenes. Um, and another thing I love about this movie is this. It's actually two movies in one. I mean, there, there's this story, right? There's this story about a boy who is homesick, who would rather play video games than listen to his grandfather read him some old story. And there's this grandfather who would love nothing more than to read to his grandson from his favorite story of all time. And you're just barely into this story, you've just started it, 
the one about the boy and the grandfather, when suddenly it's like you're dropped into a whole different movie. Another movie starts. Suddenly, there's this other story. And it's a story about a girl who loves a boy, and a boy who would go to the ends of the earth to love her back, and all the obstacles that get in the way, like um, sword fighting and uh, rodents of an unusual size and fire swamps and revenge. And it's almost like we have two movies going on together. There is a movie within a movie a story within a story. Uh, this is called framing. It's where you put one story inside of another one. You set one story inside another, just like you set a frame um, outside and around a beautiful picture. Now, if we were in IBS class right now, which we're not, we might call that intercalation. If we were in a New Testament class right now, which we're not, uh, we might be referring to something called a Markin sandwich, but um, I'm afraid that referring to sandwiches in the hour before lunch might be a little too distracting for our stomachs, so we'll stick with the frame metaphor here. And, and here's the thing about framing. When, when a story is told really well, and come on, what story is told better than The Princess Bride? The story illuminates the story inside of it. They both bring light to each other. The frame illuminates the picture. The picture brings out the beauty of the frame. So there's this story. It's a story about true love moving beyond all barriers, about a girl who loves a boy who goes to great ends to love her back, even when everything possible stands in his way. And it's a story about true love moving beyond all barriers about a grandfather loving a boy, even if the boy isn't particularly interested in being loved that day. And one story will tell you what the other story might actually be about, how love can conquer every obstacle, whether it's facing the dread pirate Roberts or the struggle we all face of one generation trying to understand another. Isn't that great? How you can actually get two stories for the price of one. So there's this story. It's a story about Jesus. And he's in the middle of a great crowd. The people have heard about the miracles he's been performing, and suddenly everyone wants to be right next to him to see what he will do next. This crowd is so thick that no one can get through but someone at the back of the crowd begins to yell out Jesus' name. It's Jairus, a leader in the local synagogue, a big man in town, a VIP. Jesus, he calls out from the back of the crowd, and they part to let him through. Jesus, it's my daughter, my only daughter. She's sick. You have to come, Jesus. My daughter is sick. She's dying. And Jairus, this important man, he falls at Jesus' feet, asking him, no, actually, he's begging him to come and heal his little girl. And, and now we get it, right? Now we know what this story is going to be about. This is going to be one of Jesus' healing stories. Aren't those great? And, and not just any healing, the healing of a sweet and loved little girl, the child of an important leader. This man, Jairus, he is not a man who is used to begging. Men like Jairus do not beg. 
especially important Jewish leaders begging before this upstart that's been causing trouble in town. And yet, Jairus throws himself at Jesus' feet. This is a story of extraordinary love of a father for his only child. And what makes this story of love even more extraordinary is that in that day, no one thought it was that great to have an only child, especially not if that child was a girl. The fact that Jairus and his wife were able to have only one child would have had people shaking their heads with pity. And when that only baby was born a girl, it, it was possible in this culture that she could have been rejected, left to die just because of that fact. See, in, in that culture, babies who were born female or with disabilities and make no mistake, being born female was considered a kind of disability here. They might have been taken out to the countryside and left alone on a mountainside to die of exposure, unwanted, discarded. People didn't want one baby and they didn't want it to be a girl, but not Jairus. The first time he held that little girl in his arms, he treasured her just as much as if she was a boy, maybe, maybe even more. He carried her on his shoulders through the marketplace in town. He brought her home little presents from his business trips. Maybe he even taught her to read Hebrew so that she would know the scriptures as well as the boys her age. Who would want a girl, people said. Well, Jairus did. She was wanted and loved. And the way he doted on her, the way he adored her and talked about her to other people, it made it even more obvious just how special this child was to him. And now, now she's 12 years old. And, and this is the point in, in their culture where she's leaving childhood. She's just on the cusp of being an adult. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that you'd be expected to start adulting at age 12? Some of you didn't want to start adulting when you woke up this morning. So um, this is a special time in her life. And, and Jairus has done everything up to this moment to treasure her and to protect her. And, and everything has gone right until now. And suddenly, something out of his control has happened. Something has gone terribly wrong, and she is sick. She is sick, and they know that she's dying. And this, this is a very important man, a man who has never had to beg before. And here he is in tears, throwing himself before Jesus. Love will make a fool out of you sometimes. Just come, he says, just, just touch her, Jesus. We know that you can do it. We know you can make her well. So, so that's what this story is going to be about, right? Everything is going to be okay because Jesus. Jesus is going to heal this little girl. Except that he doesn't. He's on his way, mind you. He's following Jairus through the crowd on the way to his house when something gets in his way. Something stops him, but not really a something. It's a someone. Here's the story from Mark 5. And a woman who was there, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, wait a minute. What is going on here? Suddenly, we have, we have left our original story, and we have been dropped into the middle of this other story. This is a story of a woman who is sick, who has been bleeding for 12 years. Physically, she would have been debilitated. She was anemic, drained, maybe even out of breath just from leaving her house that day. She had sought out every doctor that could possibly help her, but all that had done was bleed her savings dry. And her sickness, it wasn't just debilitating physically, it was devastating socially. The purity laws in this day said that a woman who was bleeding was to be considered unclean spiritually unacceptable to God, and so unacceptable to God's people, too. She couldn't be around other people, couldn't go to the market, couldn't go to worship. She was unfit to approach another human being, unfit to approach God. And this kind of spiritual uncleanness was thought to be terribly contagious. She couldn't touch another person, or they would be unclean, too. This was catching the spiritual stigma of it was catching. You could get it from touching her. You could get it from her house or her, her furniture. Can you understand how lonely, how isolated she must have been? If, if this woman had a husband, she would have had to live separately from him for 12 years, or he would have been an outcast too. If she had had a child and... What we know medically is this kind of issue could have been brought on by childbirth. Many, many women in countries still today live with a condition called a fistula, but debilitating symptoms are very similar to this one. We don't know if she had given birth. We don't know if she had a child who lived or maybe died, but if she did have a child, they would have had to been sent away to live with relatives so they wouldn't grow up a lonely outcast, an untouchable recluse. This woman probably hadn't been touched, not, not on purpose anyway, for 12 long years. And she dares to show up in the middle of our nice, normal healing story. And to tell you the truth, I feel a little cheated here. I feel a little like the boy who starts out with the expectations of one story, and wait a minute, where are the sports? What is the story about? Is this a kissing story? Um, except instead of just a little mildly disgusting PDA, we somehow got stuck with the story that is called the woman with the issue of blood. Everything was going just fine with our nice little miracle story. We, we had this precious, sick little girl who was gonna be healed, and, and we got dropped into this story. And now we have to ask ourselves again, what is this story about? My, my grandparents, my, my dad's parents, have been dead for several years now, but my, my grandfather, 
he used to do this thing that we, we still talk about sometimes. We still tell this story in our family. The, the TV was always on in their house. It was always blaring, even if no one was watching it. Everybody was just kind of going about their business. And my grandfather always had control of the remote. You know about the remote, right? And any time a commercial came on that embarrassed him, you know the commercials, right? Um, one that referred to something called feminine products. My grandfather would take that remote and he would hit the mute button. And suddenly, the house would go silent. And so wherever we were in the house, whatever we were all doing at the moment, we would all turn to look. We would look right at the TV to see what was the embarrassing commercial about this time. And so instead of drawing attention away from what was going on, he was actually drawing our attention right to it. And in our family, even today, sometimes when something gets awkward or embarrassing, someone will say, somebody get the remote. So this woman, bless her heart, if there was ever a cause for a mute button in the New Testament, it is her. She is physically broken down, financially broke, socially outcast, spiritually lost. Nobody wanted to be associated with her. Really, most people don't even want to preach about her. And this woman, she only has one thing left going for her. She's desperate. She's so desperate that she will do anything. She's to that point where she thinks to herself, what else can they do to me? What else do I have to lose? And just a little aside here, this is a great time to meet Jesus when you have nothing else to lose. I would say to you this morning in your ministries, look for the people who are desperate, but they're probably gonna come looking for you. They're out there and they're ready. The point where we have nothing else to lose is the point where we often find Jesus. And so she reached for the littlest bit of Jesus that she could get, right? She reached out and barely touched, not him, but his clothes, just the edge of his robe. And the Bible uses the word touched four times in this story here, four times. She touched, she touched, she touched, she touched. And each time someone heard the story, they must have winced, thinking of her, her awful condition, how this unclean and disgraceful woman dared to touch Jesus, what would happen? Um, would her uncleanness be as contagious as they had all said? Would Jesus catch it? But when she did, something amazing happened. Instantly, she felt something in her body changed. Her bleeding stopped. She was cured. And here's what we figure out here, that instead of uncleanness being so contagious, that her uncleanness damages Jesus, God's holiness, his wholeness, is so contagious that it takes over her body and casts out all the brokenness. And exactly what she had hoped would happen that day actually happened. She had snuck into the crowd and shoplifted a healing and no one knew about it. Well, almost no one. I mean, Jesus knew, didn't he? Also from Mark 5, at once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding around you as disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? Gotta love the disciples, clueless again. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. That's gotta be my favorite line in this story. She told him the whole truth. Imagine everything that was packed into that story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, why do we need a second stage of this story? She was already fixed, right? But Jesus wasn't just satisfied with fixing what was wrong with her body. Jesus is not content with the stamp of cured on our medical charts. He wants something more than cured. He wants her healed. She wanted to hide in the crowd, but he wanted to bring everything to light so she could be fully restored, restored to herself, to her family, to her community, restored to God. And she came to Jesus with just one thing in mind, one wish, and it was for her body to be fixed. She did that thing we do where we ask Jesus to just fix that little thing that's wrong right now. And Jesus did that thing that he does where he hears our wishes and then he frames them with his wishes, which are always bigger and better than ours. I think most of us come to Jesus and just really would like him to say the words, as you wish, and dismiss us on our way but he wants more than a, a transaction. He wants a relationship. He didn't just want to zap this woman. He wanted her wholeness, her complete restoration. And when Jesus asked that question, who touched me, it doesn't mean he's angry. It doesn't mean he's clueless. It means he wants to hear her answer, and he wants the crowd to hear it too. She knows that she's better, but he wants everyone else to know that she's better. She thought that she could just push the mute button and hide her shame from everyone else. And suddenly it had drawn all the attention in the crowd straight to her. So she could have been cured in private, but she could only be healed in community. It's one thing, it's one thing to be embraced by Jesus, but to be embraced by his followers, his church, to be loved by the people who've rejected you, that's healing, right? That's restoration. For that kind of healing to happen, for, for hearts that have been mostly dead to come alive again, the whole church has to get in on the act. And this woman, her story could not have been more different than our original one, right? That sweet and loved little girl that Jairus had asked him to heal. Think about those two stories. One was a person of privilege. One an outcast. One of them comes from a family at the center of the religious establishment. The other one's not even allowed into worship. One was a precious and loved little girl, and the other one was all alone in the world. And yet there, there are some things that connect these stories in ways that we cannot ignore, in ways that the frame starts to shine so brightly that the picture actually comes to light in a new way. The woman fell at Jesus's feet. She's the second person in the story to do so. Jairus fell at Jesus's feet. 
The woman has been sick. She's been bleeding for 12 years. The little girl is how old? She's 12 years old. She has been alive for as long as this woman has been sick. And then, then there's that moment. That moment when Jesus looks at the woman and he says this amazing word. He calls her daughter. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus was her last resort. She tried everything before she tried Jesus, and he wanted her anyway. Loved her anyway. That word, daughter, is the word that pronounces her healed. She is whole, loved. She's treasured. Daughter is the same word that a father would use to talk about his treasured child and we've heard a father talking about his treasured child somewhere in this story. It was Jairus. Wait a minute, is that what her story is about? Not just some embarrassing woman stuff that we'd rather mute, but about how Jesus loves this woman, this outcast, lonely, isolated woman with the same depth and tenderness that Jairus loves his little girl. Jairus' story frames for us what it means to be beloved. And the woman inside that picture in the frame, she is beloved too. And so are you. Beloved. See what great love the Father has for us that we, that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. That is what you are. I don't, I don't know everything about your story. I don't know what you wish Jesus would just fix. I don't know what your wish is for Jesus to just zap and make it go away. I don't know what makes you hide in the midst of the crowd. I don't know what you think is the thing that would make you untouchable if everyone else knew. But I do know that you're beloved. I know that you're a daughter, a son, a child of God, and I know that your belovedness is a bigger story than the one that you're walking in today. I mean, your story is your story. It matters. The details are precious. They are your whole truth, and they are true. And my guess is there is deep pain there, and hopefully deep joy too, but Whatever story you're living, there is a frame around it, a bigger story, a bigger story than even the stories dominating our world right now. You are sandwiched by this grace that you cannot escape. Do you think you could ever slip out of that larger story of grace? Inconceivable. I don't know your story, but I know the story that frames it. I don't know what you're asking for from Jesus, but I know what he's offering. That's what this story is about. There's really just one story here. It's a story of a father's love that is too powerful to be stopped by any obstacle, even when we can sometimes be the biggest obstacles to that love ourselves.